You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash it's time. Her Money comes to you through PRX. I am Jean Chatsky. Welcome to Her Money. So you all have heard me talking for weeks now, maybe months now, about the fact that I have a new book out. It's called Age Proof, Living Longer Without Running Out of Money or Breaking a Hip. And the doctor responsible for the not breaking a hip part, as well as so much of the other content, is Mike Roizen of the Cleveland Clinic. He is a best-selling author. You've all seen him many times on the Dr. Oz show. He is... The I chief even, of I, wellness. At, I even have been on the Today Show twenty eight times. Oh my gosh, twenty eight times! But I never ran into you in all those times. I it, know. It, and in fact, you know, the it was always Matt Lauer and someone else, who, right? And so, in fact, the chief of I was at the University of Chicago when this started, and the chief of surgery would say, "If you get on with, and I'm going to have you fill in the blank, but probably all of your." If you get on with blank, I'll carry your bags. Katie Couric? Katie Couric. But 28 times in a row, it was Matt Lauer. Oh, <laughs> well, I, you know, I've been on with Matt and with Katie and with Bryant. I mean, it's been old home week at the Today Show a little bit while Savannah Guthrie has been on maternity leave. And as Mark Halpern said a few days ago, we miss Savannah, but this is really cool with Brian Gumble sitting in the chair next to Matt Lauer. And I wish I had run into you at the Today Show, but we should tell everybody where this project came from. So Dr. Mike Roizen is in the studio with me in New York. We just finished taping the Dr. Oz show with an episode of Age Proof. So I hope that you'll all look for the book on the show. But this book came from a, a place... A brilliant, actually, I should say, it came from a brilliant idea from you. Okay, so Jean had this idea. Don't let her attribute it to anyone else. It was her idea, and she was really brilliant about it. But we were in Los Angeles. We didn't know each other. Nope. And we were in Los Angeles in a studio, and I learned so much about financial planning in a short period of time that I wanted to do more. And I learned a lot about medicine. We were both pulled into a television pilot that I think was supposed to be called The Experts, where it was kind of like The View, except everybody had an area of expertise. And the pilot sadly went nowhere, but we got to be friends. And when I wanted to write a book about the fact that it would be, it had become very, very clear to me that if you were going to live a long time, and you probably were, you better have both your health and your money heading in the right direction. And so I picked up the phone and I called you. And what I think we learned in this book was how intertwined health and wealth are. And money managing is like health managing. And you made this great point early on. They both should be private, but private doesn't mean solo. No. And whether you use a fidelity advisor or whether you use a doctor, it's probably about the same thing. You want someone who you can be confident in and a confidant of and who has your best interest at heart 
and you can go to with questions and, and ask for advice. Yeah, you you have to be able to talk about your health and your money and with more people than just the people that you pay. I mean, one of the most interesting ties between health and money is that you're better off if you have an accountability buddy in both areas. If you have somebody that you can say, all right, these are my goals. This is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to cut the caffeine. I'm trying to reduce it so I only have one glass of wine a night rather than two. I'm trying to lay off my credit cards. If you have a person in your life that you can bring under the tent and say, keep me honest, you're going to be much better off. Right. So we have, in fact, we, as you know, at the Cleveland Clinic and and in a separate group, we have a age-proof e-coaching system to mm-hmm. get people to reverse, you know, we do it with hypertension, we do or high blood pressure, we do it with diabetes, we do it with tobacco cessation, we do it with obesity, and it's incredibly successful. And now we've added the financial coaching, thanks to you, to that at, at age-proof life. Um, and in fact, that's a great way of having that accountability buddy. You want someone who you can talk to and who will talk to you daily no matter where they are. And if you, and you want to be able to do it in an asynchronous fashion. You don't want to have to be at the same place at the same time or even on the same phone at the same time often. So email works great. Having a coach is, is fantastic. I want to back up a little bit and talk about the whole issue of longevity. Right. I mean, this is the problem. If we were a math problem and we were trying to solve for X, the X is longevity. We're all going to live a long time, probably longer than we ever expected to live. And that means if we want those later years of our lives to be good ones, which, of course, we all do, we've got to have both good health and financial resources. Right. And and in fact, it's almost scary how long we may live. Um, I think I talked to you about Ray Kurzweil. Mm-hmm. Ray Kurzweil, if you if you went to um, any music concert, whether it was from the Grateful Dead all the way to the most current of the um, musicians who play in concert, almost all of them have a Kurzweil sound machine. And what that was, was it, he actually invented that as an accident. He was trying to mimic speech and to be able to play chords for, in fact, uh, deaf people and to get it so that it went into your brain without you having to hear it, et, et cetera. It was, it was a brilliant idea in translation. But Ray Kurzweil is also now the chief innovation officer at Google, a not small job. Not at all but, small. But he, and he's the one who predicted to the day when Big Blue would beat um, Kasparov, the chess champion, yeah, in 1993 or something, he's the one who did Moore's Law and how fast computers would would now work. But in fact, Ray Kurzweil says, and this is the, the both the scary and the wonderful part is that sometime between 2020 and 2030, we're going to be virtually immortal. Meaning, you're going to live to 120 to 160 with the quality of life you have now, and that's how fast change is going. And he bases that on how much money is now being inserted or devoted to aging research. So, if you thought you were going to live to be 80, add 30 years to that, and you've got to have money that lasts that long. And you have to have a plan to make whatever your financial 
picture looks like. Not only get to the part where it can sustain you, but then get to the part where you can draw on those assets for a really, really long time. Because when you look back at the history of things like Social Security, right? Social Security was never meant to last anybody for thirty years. It does right, now, right. What, but what was it was meant to? What it start at age sixty five. But the average person died at age sixty-two when it was begun. So if you look at then, if you say the average person in America dies at at eighty-two now, so you'd start collecting Social Security by parallel at eighty-five or eighty-six. So we do it at a lot earlier. So we've got to have more money earlier. And so much of the responsibility for funding the rest of our retirement, because Social Security is is nice. I mean, don't get me wrong; it's nice to have, but it's not enough to support most people in their pre-retirement lifestyle. It's just it's just not enough money, and that means you got to get your own act together, and really amass some some resources for your financial future. And what I learned from you is that one of the very best ways you can do that is by getting and staying healthy. So my favorite factoid of all from the book is that eighty four percent of healthcare spending goes to paying. For not end of life care, as many people think, but chronic diseases. Right. So the CDC did this analysis in 2004, and they found that 75 percent of the money we spent was on chronic disease, and much of it was in the pre 65 years. It turns out now they redid the analysis for the year 2020. Twelve published in the New England Journal in 2014, and now it is eighty-four percent of all healthcare expenditures are for chronic disease management, and more than seventy percent are accounted for by four things. So I want to talk about those four things specifically because what we like to do on this show, and what I feel like I have the ability to help people with, is. Fixing their own individual economy, and so if you can get these four factors right, you are going to dramatically reduce your own healthcare expenditures over your lifetime, which is a huge, huge deal. But before we do it, Mike, I just want to remind everybody: her money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments, and Fidelity is focused on helping women like us take charge of our financial lives. We all deserve to live the lives that we work so hard for. So, visit fidelity.com/slash/it's-time. You'll find many more conversations like this one with Dr. Mike Roizen. You'll find information about how to manage your money during life's biggest events and most challenging times. And that's true whether you're getting married or divorced or starting a new career or becoming age-proof. And again, that is fidelity.com/slash. It's time. So I'm in the studio in New York with my co-author of Age Proof, Dr. Mike Roizen, and we're talking about four factors, four things that, if you can do them right, you are going to spend less money on healthcare throughout your lifetime, which is going to improve your overall financial picture. So let's talk about them. And before I talk about them, I want to say that they're in the book. They if are, if you will. And there is an assessment. So one of the common things you should do is that you taught me not hide your head in sand、right. or in anything else, 
but the first common thing in the themes is assess where you are, look in the mirror, if you will, and get a good picture of where you are both financially and medically. And medically, And so I'm going to give you the four things, but then I'm going to tell you the six tests to look at so that you can get it right. Okay. So the four things are, and if you do these four in the nurse's health study, you decrease chronic disease for the older nurses 90% over a 28-year period, for the younger nurses 83% over a 28-year period. In the Swedish men's study, you decreased it 87% over a 14-year period. So this really works. Medicare population, we've got data on that too, of between 80 and 90% reduction um, and they are, one, avoid toxins. The leading toxin in America is, in fact, tobacco. And even secondhand tobacco smoke, you should avoid like it's the plague because it is. So avoid uh, tobacco and both chewing and other ways. Now, since marijuana has become popular, in fact, you, and should, legal know, in some places. Uh, you should know that one joint Smoked is the equivalent of four cigarettes smoked. An hour in a hookah parlor is the equivalent of smoking 16 to 22 cigarettes. So those are really dangerous. If you want to do something and have the benefits of the marijuana without the toxicity is do it in an edible. But you guys, you don't want to use it till after age 24 because it inhibits your brain development. Women, not until after age 18 in any form. And the second of the toxins that we have is phthalates and BPA, BPS. Where do you get the phthalates? You get them in all kinds of perfumes and products you want to, if you're going to look for it, look for phthalate-free items. They used to be in plastics, but you get it much higher, in fact, in the things that you use in the home. If you use a uh, home oil dispenser, you know, an aroma dispenser or a breath freshener, you want to make sure it is phthalate-free. How you do that is look for 100% essential oils. The receipts of um, that you get in fast food restaurants, at gas stations, etc., are loaded with BPA, BPS. You what then- does that stand for? Um, bisphenol A and bisphenol S. I'm sorry I asked. And if you have it on, if you get it on your hands and touch your hands to your mouth, which everybody does all the time, even though you don't know you're doing it, um, you get that inside you. So those are the three major toxins to avoid. Okay. The second one is do the four components of physical activity. So it's being physically active. 10,000 steps a day is the ideal plus 20 minutes of uh, cardio three times a week plus 30 minutes of weightlifting plus the easiest one is to do uh, 20 jumps morning and night. That's especially important for women because it's the only thing we know of that actually causes strengthening and thickening of bone as you get older. So you can literally just, and, and this one sort of blew my mind a little bit when you started telling me about it, but you can literally just stand in your driveway and jump 20 times. Or you said, when I get into or out of my car, if I just do 10 jumping jacks each time, I'm good to go. Absolutely. All right. So we've got number one, avoid toxins. Number two, get yourself off the couch and get moving. Number three? Number three is food choices and portion size. So you want to have the portion size to keep your waist less than half your height. And that's basically a calorie in versus calorie out. You know, there are all kinds of 
crazy um, regimens, but a calorie is a calorie is a calorie still. Mm -hmm. And there are ways of doing it so it's a little more efficient for you, which we can get into and we go into in the book. But the the basic is calories to have the right waist size. And then you want to avoid four what we call snake oil foods. Um, those are foods that don't love you back. So food is like a relationship. You want to love it, but you want it to love you back. So you wouldn't be in a relationship unless it was a mutual love. You, you hope every, not. Every food item you should have should be mutually loving you. And so the four foods that don't love you are foods with simple carbohydrates, such as processed white bread or processed bread that is white. If it says enriched on it, it isn't for you. <laughs> um, it isn't an enriching for you. Um, second is um, added sugar. Third is added syrups. So added sugars, added syrups, um, and simple or stripped carbohydrates, we call them. The fourth item is foods with saturated fat. It probably isn't the saturated fat or not the saturated fat alone, but it is the carnitine, lecithin, and choline. So egg yolks, cheese. I know cheese. I know. Every we woman, love uh, cheese. Every woman loves cheese. So egg yolks, cheese, and um, red meat have a lot of carnitine, lecithin, or choline, which changes the bacteria inside you to produce an inflammatory thing called trimethylamine, which goes to your liver and causes you to have trimethylamine oxide and butylbutane, which are more toxic to your inflammatory system, meaning they cause plaque in your arteries, they cause plaque to rupture, giving you heart attacks and strokes, they impede your immune system, so they let cancer cells dwell, and they um, cause kidney failure over the long run. I, I want to get to number four in, in just a second, but inflammation, boy, oh boy. I mean, I, I, I don't think I grew up worrying about inflammation all that much, but as my parents got older, my father passed away. I mean, both of my parents have had issues with and inflammation is awful. Yeah. So the easy way of thinking about it is that olive oil and the omega-3 oils and Aspirin all decrease inflammation in you. And so the other things that we never thought about but were really big and, and have continued is uh, periodontal disease is a cause of low-grade inflammation as are vaginal infections. So those type of things are things you want to get rid of. And there's an easy way of measuring inflammation. Um, CRP is one of the measures that we talk about in the book. For looking at dietary causes of inflammation, it's TMAO. Um, and you can ask your doctor to get those. They're relatively readily available. If your level is outside the normal range, you do want to find where that inflammation is originating from. Is it your teeth, which is a common periodontal disease? Is it another infection someplace else? Is it your food choices? All right, let's get to number four before we run out of time here. Number four is that you have to reduce stress. And finances, your money, is the biggest stressor out there. Right, and so you're the one who taught me so well. So in stress, there's both relationship stress, which is a common form of stress both in men and women. Um, the difference is men secrete a lot of testosterone when they get stressed with relationship stress, which causes a fight response. 
um, women less, which causes the flight response. We run away from confrontation. Right. And, um, but the other big thing is financial stress, which is, as you said, the major cause has to be dealt with. Relationship stress, you can meditate, you can do guided imagery, you can do progressive. There are eight, actually eight techniques breathe. that we yeah. talk about, including deep breathing, as you mentioned. Um, but financial stress, you're the one who said it. You have to. You got to fight it. Face it head on and get rid of the cause of that financial stress. And that's what we spend an awful lot of time talking about on the show, the various stresses in your life, whether we're talking about debt or whether we're talking about loss of a spouse or divorce or other things or an unstable job and how to deal with it. What kind of a reaction are you getting? We were riding up to to the studio before in the elevator together and carrying a few books and a guy who we didn't know looked at the cover of the book and he's like, oh, age-proof. I need that. And that's the reaction that I've been getting. People seem to, you know, everybody's afraid of running out of money or breaking a hip. These are the facts of And you can't have life. one without the other. That is what you really taught and, and captured brilliantly, Jean, is the fact that you can't be wealthy without having health because you'll spend too much on it. And you can't be healthy without having enough money to afford to be healthy. To afford to stay healthy. And we all have to stay healthy for the long term. Well, I know I can get you back on this show anytime. All I have to do is ask, but I'm really happy to have you here. And and let me just say for the record, you know, thank you for doing this with me. Thank you for taking a leap of faith. I I appreciate it. We're going to give away 10 copies of Age Proof. So send me, tweet me, tell me why you need to be age proof. And uh, you can send us a note on Facebook as well. And we will give those away. We should tell people that they can also buy them on. Oh, yes. You can buy the book. (laughs) If if you don't want to wait for getting your, if you don't want to risk getting a free one that way, um, go ahead and uh, either go to your library and ask them to have it or um, buy it yourself on Amazon or one of the other channels. It's even in Costco. So if you want to give it away, if you want your first 300 friends to get it, get it at Costco where it's really cheap to get 300 copies. There you go. Good financial advice from Dr. Roizen. So Kelly has joined me in the studio. Dr. Roizen is off to the airport. That was fun. So much fun. So we're going to take everybody's questions, but before we do that, this is episode number 47 of our podcast. We're working our way up to our 50th episode, mm-hmm. and separate from the giveaway of the copies of Age Proof, which I'm delighted to be able to do, we've got 50 books to celebrate 50 podcasts mm-hmm. by our author guests. Mm-hmm. Um, they have kindly sent us these books to give away. So people like Gretchen Rubin and Ariana Huffington and Brene Brown and wonderful, wonderful books. So tweet us, Facebook us, send us an email at jeanchatsky.com about the difference that her money has made in your life. And 
will put you in the running for a book. We've already received a few, so thank you for the early submissions, and please keep them coming. Absolutely. All right, what you got? We have our first question from Len on Facebook, and he's wondering, what if you work for a small company that doesn't offer high-deductible plans with HSAs? Can you acquire one yourself through a private lender? Absolutely, through a private exchange, through a healthcare exchange. Mm. So you have to buy a health plan that is HSA eligible, Generally, on the exchanges, you're talking about the silver or the bronze plans. Those are the higher deductible plans. But just make sure it says HSA HSA eligible. And then you can go open an HSA pretty much wherever you want. And and financial institutions and health savings account related institutions all over the place offer them. Great. And our next question is also from Facebook. Nancy wrote us a message. And I love this question because it kind of takes in everything that you and Mike just talked about, Dr. Roizen just talked about. So it's a fun question, too. I'm excited to hear your answer. She writes, I've been following you for years. Is there an age when you can start to spend some of your savings or do we have to hold on to it forever? We're in our mid-70s, no debt, medical insurance provided by former employer and in decent health. I'd like to enjoy a life a bit more. Our savings are above mid-six figures. Our house is worth just below mid-six figures and our new vehicles are both paid for. Can she have some fun? Absolutely. <laughs> and you know what? This is so interesting, Nancy, because I did a, I did a story. I write for a website called The Balance, which is about.com's personal finance website. And I just did a story about saving in retirement and spending in retirement. And one of the trends that emerged was that we have hammered home this message of save, save, save so much that people are now afraid to spend even when they have enough money money to spend. And so the general guideline here is that of that money in your retirement accounts, of the money that is counted as your liquid assets, and you don't want to count your house towards your liquid assets because you want to continue to live in that house, 4% a year is about the amount that you can safely withdraw and still expect the money to last for 30 years. So you've already been at it for a little while. You may be able to go a little higher than 4% a year, but just be careful if there are years when the markets are down to keep your withdrawals at 4% or a little bit less. Great. Thank you. And do we have one more? Our third and final question is from Julie. She sent us an email at jeanchatsky.com. She writes, I want some advice on what to do when you find yourself at 50 in a financial crisis. I'm well-educated and have a good job, but I allowed my husband to handle the money over the years and recently learned that all was not as it seemed. The shame of realizing I'm in this situation is tough to swallow. I can't go back in time. I have to look forward. I have one son in college and one in high school. We decided to sell our home to try and bring down overhead and regroup. It has been emotional. I would love advice on how to write this ship or where to go for advice. A couple of things. First of all, I think there are so many more people who feel like you than you think. The biggest regret is that we can't recapture lost time. And although you have stumbled more than you thought that you would have stumbled, you understand the lay of the land now, which is really important, and you can move the ball forward. And you've got time because you think 50 is old. These days, 50 is so young. You've got years and years and years to both work and to save and to right your ship. Now, that said, you made the right decision selling your home. You need to to change course. You need to downshift in the amount that you have to spend in order to free up 
as much as possible to make up time and put away for your future. And I would just suggest there was a story in the Wall Street Journal. It came out in early to mid February about a woman who was in pretty much the exact same situation that you describe, and she just switched up her life, and she picked up and she moved to a different part of the country where it was much less expensive to live. It was not an easy journey for her, but the story at the end left me feeling very optimistic, not just for her, but for everybody who is feeling like they're in the same situation. There are a lot of different ways to change course, whether you take on a part-time job, whether you rent out part of your house, whether you figure out a way, as you have by selling your house, to spend a lot less. And as long as you put your mind to it, I have absolutely no doubt that you can do it. Age is just a number. There you go, says the 27-year-old. <laughs> 26. <laughs> Rub it in. Rub it in. No, thank you so much, Jean, and thank you, everyone, for your questions. Excellent. Thank you, Kelly. To wrap up the show today, our Thrive segment, if you are on the market to buy a house this year, you are certainly not alone. The numbers are high. One in four Americans, which, by the way, that's about 59 million people, are thinking about buying a home, according to a new report from Bankrate.com. And if that's you... Here are a few things that I want you to do before you even go to your first open house. Number one, check your finances. Avoid that horrible scenario where your eyes get bigger than your wallet by sitting down and making a list of what you earn, what you own, and what you owe. And use those numbers to figure out how much house you can afford. My guideline is to plan on spending no more than 35% of your total income on total housing costs, which is not just your mortgage, it's your insurance, it's your taxes, it's your maintenance. And doing this sort of financial check will also help you figure out how much money you can put down, aim for 20%. If you can, you can certainly get a mortgage for less, but aiming for 20% will allow you to avoid PMI, private mortgage insurance, and it'll give you a sense of the kind of mortgage rate that you can qualify for. Along those lines, number two on the list, check your credit reports from all three credit bureaus. You can do this for free at annualcreditreport.com. Also, check your credit score. Anything over 720 is going to get you a good rate. Anything over 760 will help you get a great rate. And third, if you can, get pre-approved for a mortgage before you start shopping. Getting the green light, getting that go sign as early as possible, it gives you and real estate agents an idea of what you can afford. But it also says, hey, this person here is a credible, serious buyer. Know, though, that the lender who pre-approves you doesn't have to be the lender that you go with in the end. So you can keep shopping around for the best mortgage rate possible. And remember, even half a percentage point can save you thousands of dollars in interest over the life of your loan. So good luck with all of that. Thanks so much for listening to our show today. Thanks to Dr. Michael Roizen for coming in and spending some time in the studio with me. Thank you, too, to Kelly for gathering together our questions as well as our whole production team. A big thank you to Fidelity, our sponsor. 
Our show comes to you through PRX. Our music is provided by Track Tribe. And be sure to join us next week. We'll be sitting down with Dr. Ellen Hendrickson, also known as the Savvy Psychologist, delving into all of those psychological and financial issues that go hand in hand. We'll talk soon.